0: When you differentiate on cost, they can always find someone who has lower cost. You differentiate on features, they can always find someone who has different expertise or can do something different or knows the new training. But when you differentiate on esteem and you have a cause that you believe in and you, your customers know it, that's really hard for someone to copy.
1: Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode forty-nine of Improv Is No Joke podcast. Thank you so very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Thaddeus Rex and the science of charisma. Few presenters have been compared to both Dale Carnegie and David Bowie. Fewer still have the honor of being called part Monty Python, part Dr. Seuss by the Washington Post. Brand strategist Thaddeus Rex got his start on PBS. Toured his own stage shows for over a decade, they went to consult companies like Butterball, Australian Gold, and many more. He recently distilled his process to help professional service firms train their teams in the science of charisma to become more compelling while perfectly acting out the company's brand in every interaction. In his first workbook, Checkmate Your Competitors, using the five factors of competitive edge, was released on March 28th of 2017. I've put a link to the download of this workbook in the show notes, so go grab it. In this fun episode, we'll discuss the components of the science of charisma, but after a little guitar solo on branding. We also have a great discussion about building a brand for a client of Thaddeus's that was an accounting firm. The owner was beginning to think about retiring in about six years, and he wanted to start transitioning the brand away from himself and to his team. Great takeaways in our discussion. And remember that you choose your audience, not that your audience chooses you. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, use improvisation to create positive results and leadership in leadership and life for $14.99 and the shipping's free, please go to my website and you'll see the available now on my homepage. Just click and go to the shopping cart. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at P. Margaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my entire name. And on Instagram by searching P. Margaritas. With that said, let's get to the interview with Thaddeus Rex. Welcome, Thaddeus. I greatly appreciate you taking time out to be a guest on the podcast, sir.
0: Thanks, Peter. Great to be here.
1: Great to see you again. It's been a while since the the last time we crossed paths, and I do believe that was maybe a year ago at an NSA Ohio
0: meeting. Oh, you mean after the speakeasy thing?
1: Uh, oh, yeah, after that. Yeah, uh, after that thing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. National Speakers Association in Ohio. That's right. That was a good time. Great group over there.
1: Yeah, we we had a good time, and you and you, you drugged along your friend uh, Carl Aurix, who I think he was episode number five of my podcast. So it was great to see both of you guys. That
0: must have been some episode.
1: it it, it was he. It, yeah, you know, he's got a lot of great information stored up in that head of his.
0: I know. You have, have you ever done the Strengths Finder?
1: Uh I've got the book upstairs. I, I haven't done it yet. I can't pick it oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not strong well, he enough. He and
0: I both are cursed with what they call Inputter. So he and I both were the type of people who just love to read information just for the sake of having information in our heads.
1: Oh, my gosh. You're one of those. because he can, I mean, he's got more stuff. He can gobble up more content and, and, and replay it on a dime. Before
0: 1998, extremely valuable. After 1998, not so
1: much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thaddeus, why don't you give uh, the audience uh, a little bit of your background, because uh, it's a very unique background for a branding expert.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, which part Which which part do you want? <laughs> do you want, like, all the way back? Well, I was born in a small town on the banks of the Wabash River. My mom put me in a reed basket, and I floated. now. no. <laughs>
1: No, we'll we'll do We'll speed it up about maybe a week or two from that point.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I actually, so I, I did go to school. I went to Indiana university and I finished with a degree in philosophy. Mm. As you can imagine, my parents were incredibly proud. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yep. And I was working of course, as a bartender at the pub with all the other philosophy majors.
1: Oh, that was, that was the, uh, the internship, right?
0: Yeah. Right. So, um, I decided, you know, my chances of a career in philosophy were pretty slim. Uh, so there are not a lot of degrees you can get where going into the entertainment business actually looks like a good idea, but, but in my case, it was a spectacular choice.
1: (laughs) It was a career path.
0: There was a (laughs) yeah, uh, it was a rocky path, but there at least was one. Uh, so I immediately became a starving artist and I did that for several years, but I learned early on, I, I, I talked my way into this band and, and I learned, uh, I was the one making phone calls to get gigs and I learned that everybody wanted us to come play so long as we would play for free.
1: Uh, no different than being a speaker out on the circuit now.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, very similar gig. And, uh, and so I was doing that and I learned, but if I called places like if I went several thousand miles away and told them I was coming through town with my cold calls, they would hire us. So I actually set up these shows. I'd set up 37 shows in seven weeks, went all the way out to the West coast and back. And, uh, me and a couple of the guys went out and did these shows and it was awesome. Uh, so I just started doing that all the time. And after a couple of years, I wound up getting onto this, uh, PBS show, which that changed everything. So I used PBS. I made no money on the PBS show, but I was able to, when you call people and you say you're with PBS, they return your phone calls. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. So I quit calling uh, bookstores and nightclubs and I started calling uh, theaters and I built stage shows. And I actually got into, I kind of fell into this special niche where I was using rock and roll to motivate kids to read and write. And and these Theaters loved the show. It's called "Read Like a Rock Star," and I got to I got to stand up and write my own music and play songs and tour the country. And I was in these you know theaters with 200, 800, thousand people, sponsored for bussing families in to see the show. And and then administrators began asking me if I could train the teachers, and uh, I had no idea how to do that. So I did some research and motivation. And um, along the way, we had that uh, that big recession hit. if you don't remember. It was a good time. So I was about 10 years into the career. Everything was cranking. I just hired the Chicago Bears and the Chicago Bulls. I'd I'd hired their mascot coordinators as consultants. And we just built a big stage show called Rockstar's Rex. It was like a dinosaur mascot rock show. And we were ready to rock. And I had a a writing team in LA and I had a publisher in New York. We were putting together a graphic novel series. And you talk about disruption. (laughs) I, uh, Hired a full-time booking assistant, a publicist. I had everything ready to go. We were launching it. We did the showcase in New York City in January 2009, and the economy collapsed like eight weeks before that. So no everything. one hired show, of course, <laughs> and and we knew that no one was going to. Right. So we had to look for something new, and I um, started looking I, was, I had six months on the calendar booked. You know how it is speaking. It's very similar. You already have the calendar booked, but you're looking out seven months, and you're like, okay, we're going to be eating steak in six months and starving in eight months. And so I started looking at all that federal stimulus money that was being spent, and I actually did some research on money going to the Department of Education, and I went back to the motivation research I'd done. I put together a, a set of qualitative data, and I hired a PhD to sign off on it. So we were able to go to schools and say, that big pile of money you just got, we satisfied three of the 10 requirements. And the rules were vague and hard to understand, but we figured we we had PhDs signing off on it and justifying it so we could just hand in the paperwork already filled out. But I knew that wasn't going to last very long either. This is a long-winded way of t- telling you how I got to branding. Sorry oh, about no, that.
1: no. It's interesting. I, and I keep hearing this ding in the background. Uh, is that Tinkerbell getting another set of wings?
0: Oh, that's, sorry, My every time someone deposits money in my account, it just dings.
1: Oh, wow, good for you, man. <laughs> wait, 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 listen, for my ding, it's not there.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, bummer. That's great. Yeah, I wish that's what it was.
1: <laughs> oh, take that, hey, Cody, cut that out. Make people believe that every time it dings, that's he's getting cash.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I should just keep a bell on my desk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's not a long winded way because it's it's a very interesting background. And and going back about be, being um, the rock star to kids, I, I take it you you played the guitar.
0: I did. I played guitar. I was a singer songwriter. I all the you know acoustic and electric mixed it up. I had a band in Nashville. They were fantastic. And then we started adding dinosaurs to the band, so <laughs> everybody freaked out about that. And it was it was the right concept, just the wrong time.
1: <laughs> so if I may be as bold, I see that you have a guitar in your office.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Doesn't every office have one?
1: Actually, I have two. Nice. I don't know how to play them, but I have two. I, I, I actually have two guitars in my office. And when I need a spurt of creativity, even though I don't know how to play, I know the air guitar won't do it, so I'll just pick up a guitar and start strumming. I know a couple of chords and just kind of help spur that creativity. But would w- would you mind like giving us a little sample of of what you 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 would do? now that I oh, see absolutely.
0: see the guitar. That's in There, just... all right. So this is uh, I <clears throat> one of the keys to communicating, and this is something we talk I talk about on the platform these days, is the power of a metaphor. Okay. If you- With a metaphor, it's like a magic trick. It forces someone to use their imagination. So, there's a dinosaur living inside my head. Think I got him from a book I read. He's the best friend that I've ever had. That dinosaur inside my head.
1: Wow, that's great, man.
0: (laughs) So now, of course, now being all grown up and official, I wear a suit jacket, you know, and uh, I try not to get holes in my jeans as much as I used to. So now I sing. I actually use the guitar on the platform all the time. It's a good time. And uh, I gave a little sample. Okay. I'm sinking.
1: There's more money being deposited. What's that? <laughs> I heard more money being deposited.
0: Those things, there's more money, yeah, <laughs> more money coming in. More money
1: coming. Money, money. You're money. You're making Floyd Mayweather look kind of weak.
0: You're sinking into the sand. Everyone's let go of your hand, so you take a stand. Do you understand when you're the one with the plan? Leave them chanting, your brand. Every woman and man. Leave them chanting your brand. Fear that helping hand. Like a rocket plan for the moon. Feel it all expand. Brass band of the high command. Like a grand slam spanning across the promised land. Leave them chanting your brand. Leave them chanting your brand.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Freebird. That was It's amazing that what a guitar will do. In almost any situation, because as you were playing that, as you were about the brand, I met a a woman in one of my uh, seminars in Maryland, and she was a CFO of a, a, a manufacturer of guitars. Oh, wow. And she would have to deliver the financial information to a group of very creative people. Sure. And she was getting the deer in the headlights so she picked up a guitar and learned how to play the guitar so now when it comes time to deliver the the financials she does it to song
0: that's amazing yeah
1: that that really is amazing which made me think as you were doing that i mean but she said i I captivated them and anytime you can deliver information like that in a song you've got their
0: attention you know what i have to say she might have actually won the prize in that entire company for being the most creative. Exactly. Because there are tons of people who write songs but about love and stuff, but I've never heard of (laughs) anybody delivering financials in songs. So that's pretty cool.
1: We're in the red, we're in the black.
0: I'm going to write this down. I have to tell my accountant to do this. I might actually be able to pay attention next
1: time. (laughs) Yeah, same here. So... You, you you When you're on the platform, when you're on the stage, you bring in your guitar, you're talking about the brand because you're the brand expert.
0: Sure, right. Well, if what happened, it all started in the entertainment business because I got this guitar and I I thought, well, I can't make a living with philosophy, I'm gonna use my guitar. And it doesn't matter where you go in this country, with anywhere you go, if you within two miles of that coffee shop or that bookstore that or that stage there are hundreds of people who would come do that work for free. And so I I learned early on, and the advice I got is, you know, you can't make a living playing guitar. There's like five guys in Nashville who are good enough to actually make a living playing, just playing guitar. (laughs) You have to be able to be Thaddeus Rex. And that's, that's what I learned early on. Like, nobody will pay me to play guitar, but they'll pay me to be Thaddeus Rex. And, of course, I wasn't famous, so nobody really wanted Thaddeus Rex. Until I created, I had to create something unique, something different that they hadn't seen before. And that, like a rock concert to promote reading, it was this niche that was creative and interest to fit my passion. Because I'd always loved reading, and I actually was already using books to inspire my songs. And a teacher heard me sing a song inspired by Alice in Wonderland. And it was a crazy song, like not even appropriate for kids, right? I mean, Alice in Wonderland that's a drug story, right? <laughs> yes, it is. But the teacher heard it and she was like, oh, would you come to our school and promote reading? And of course, all I could think was, wow, the bookstore is paying 50 bucks and I've heard schools will pay 300. <laughs> 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 and uh, so I, I was like, yeah, of course I will. And that was the start and no one else was out. And and then as it evolved, I, I got, I really geeked out on the research. I'm kind of a, a social scientist, like a nut. Like I I read the, so I'm the kind of guy who reads a self-help book and then reads the bibliography of the self-help book and goes and reads like the original research. Cause I want to see like what's really going on behind the scenes. So as I figured out what made the motivation worked, I started tweaking everything I was doing on stage to maximize the motivation. And then I get comments from administrators and parents, like they came back home begging for pencil and paper. What are you doing? (laughs) And I was like, Motivating them, I guess. I'm just being me, <laughs> right? Exactly. But it's just like getting employees excited. If you just tell them, "Hey, you have to get that report done." That's like, I mean, they might comply, but you're not going to inspire them. They're not going to be excited about it. If you, you tell that person, you know, who's, who's working with the financials and trying to deliver it to musicians. And if you just came in with, hey, you got to make sure they understand this, they have to get this, or you're going to be, we're just going to have to downsize your division. If you can't get these numbers across, you're just going to stress the heck out of her. But if you tell her, send her in and say, hey, just go have fun with it, like, doesn't matter. You know, they're musicians. They're going to forget it anyways. <laughs> you just got to deliver it and make it as fun as you can. And then lighten the load. and It makes it a little easier.
1: Yeah, make it as compelling as possible. Actually, I I... I've got a course called financial storytelling and and I've written an article and I'm doing a white paper for the ASCPA on how to present data uh, in in a manner that's compelling because data is data. Uh, There's there's not, there's not much there. Uh, But I I just got a quote. I'm, I'm reading this book called talk like Ted and second chapter. I, I, I love this quote. Stories are just data. With a Soul by Bryn Brown, who did a TEDx Houston 2010 uh, TEDx talk. And I, I, I watched it this afternoon and she was, she was fabulous. But it is stories, it is song, it is th- that captures that imagination, that captures that emotion. A- and, and to be able to create a, a, a brand, a niche, something that's very unique in order to be seen in today's digital day and age, I mean, that's, that's critical.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I think exactly what you're saying. Like, if you can take data and turn it into a story, because data is just data, but it's the story that changes the way, changes opinions, changes how people feel about something. It's the story they remember.
1: Right. The stories evoke emotion.
0: Right. I mean, I think the, the refugee examples, I mean, there's horrible things happening in Syria and other places around the world. And it's easy not, to, you know, because the numbers are just it's I can't get my head around thousands of people just drowned in the ocean. That that seems what I, I, that's not, that doesn't connect. But then you show me that one picture of the toddler who washed up on the beach in Turkey and everybody's heart goes boom, boom, boom. This is oh, my gosh, there's a real problem here because it's, it's a person and we can. We identify with people, not with masses, you know?
1: You remember the tsunami many years ago that hit Indonesia? And I, I, I'd heard the word tsunami, and I, I couldn't put my head around it, and all these people had died. I still couldn't. I, I just couldn't connect the dots until I saw the video. And i went, holy crap. Uh, but yeah, story, pictures, music really helps. in one, retention, and two, yeah, you know, getting that point across.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, it's powerful stuff.
1: So, so what are you doing these days?
0: So, we, I got lucky. I, as that recession hit, luckily that federal stimulus money was there. We were making a living, but we knew it wasn't going to last very long. I had joined a Rotary Club, and I got to tell you, it was my wife's hometown. Um, the Rotary Club there, and in, in, in this little town called Portland, Indiana. No one's ever heard of it except you should, because the people there they're amazing. Uh I had some amazing mentors took me to their wing and they began to ask, you know, I thought, hey, when this recession ends, I'm going to go back to New York and build this big stage show. And they started asking, just asking some poignant questions. Have you considered business consulting? And I was like, I don't know how to be a consultant. And I, <laughs> they go, how do you know you don't know how to be a consultant?
1: <laughs> I think that's everybody's initial response that when they say you should do some consulting, go what?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, my very first client actually was an accounting firm. And uh it was a small firm, like uh, 15, 20 people, something like that. But the the owner saw me speak and he came up and asked if I would come speak at their summer retreat and do sessions to help improve their brand. And I was, I, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And inside, like I walk away going, I don't know how to do that.
1: <laughs> it's called entrepreneurism.
0: <laughs> right. And so... I actually called – I was about to call him up and turn it down, and a friend of mine who I was bouncing the idea up of, he said, let me take you out to lunch. And and we go out, and and this guy ran a factory, and he he said, look, what what they see you doing is they see you out there making a living with nothing but stories. And, And they have products people need, but they just want a better story so people can understand it better. And I was like, oh, now that made sense to me. And when I actually got into the project, it turned out there was a really specific problem that made a lot of sense. It was the owner, the founder of this accounting firm. It was his name on the door. His, na- his name was the brand, and it was his, his base on the billboards, and it was his personality that brought everybody in And, and because people in the community trusted him. And he, he said, look, I want to retire in six or seven years, and I need to somehow transition the brand so it's not just me, but it's a team. And I need to have that brand be something I can sell that somebody else can take over and I can leave. And it's not, so it can't be about me anymore. And so we had to transition that. And we, first of all, we had to find what are the core values of this firm? How do we subordinate the values? Why are you here? What do you really stand for? And it was a small town firm that, but they reached across multiple counties. So they had a pretty good reach and identified why they chose that, that particular town. And just started all the advertising campaigns we shift, just start bragging on that town and, and tell us why you love it. Instead of telling us why we should trust you, why don't you tell us why you trust this town so much? And that became the whole campaign. People just loved it. He wrote back about how much they loved doing the new radio ads. And, and then we brainstormed with all, we sat down with everybody from the CPAs down to the secretary and brainstormed, okay, this new brand, it's all about integrity and concern. But the real issue is how much we love this community and that we chose the community. And how does that affect the way you answer the phone? How does that affect when someone has a problem with their tax return and they call up and it's April 14th and you want to get home, right? <laughs> and what are the different issues you might deal with? We just ran through all these scenarios, but we had the employees then build the brand. So they're building the experience that they're going to, and it was their ideas as they're building out the experience on top of these core values.
1: That is awesome because... I, I'm hearing in my world of improv, respect, trust, but also the ability to listen to everybody else within your organization and build it as a community, build it as an ensemble, uh, this new brand, for, for the, and it's a group of CPA. I mean, that is, that's a great story.
0: Well, I think if you think about a brand, the whole point of a really good brand, it's a collection of stories that all you want them all pointing in the same direction. And I mean, really, when we interact with a business, everything they do becomes part of the story. So even a gas station, like the sodas they stock, is the clerk smiling or the bathroom's clean? And and there's part of what they do is the stuff like keeping the bathrooms clean, making sure the clerk is smiling, making sure there's gas in the tanks. Then there's the stories, billboards, campaigns, advertising. And those two things really need to match perfectly. So if the billboard says sparkling clean bathrooms, they have to keep the bathrooms clean.
1: Right, right. And 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 the way they treat their customers as well as the way they treat their employees. Um, be, being Greek, uh, I grew up in restaurants. I, I'm, I'm very critical and hard on restaurants that don't provide that customer service. You know, nine times out of 10, we'll eat at my restaurant here at the house versus going out because a lot of disappointment and, and traveling as much as I do. Most of the time I get room service, but I went to this one restaurant and I've written a couple articles about it called Chow Bella in Bloomington, Minnesota. And man, they had me at hello.
0: Wow.
1: Service way beyond belief. Because usually when I go into a restaurant, if I'm sitting behind the bar taps, yep. I'm invisible. Yeah. You know, that. and somebody came up and took my, you know, can I get you something to drink? And then it, it was it was amazing. And I got a chance to talk to the to uh, management and they said it starts at the top. It's just how we treat our people. And people is a broad concept of it's our people that work for us and the people that join us for dinner every evening.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really is. You, if you create these collection of stories that help people see what you care about as the leader, as the owner, as the founder, as the CEO, and it does start at the top. And if there's some, if there's just a bunch of rules I have to comply with, I may, I may comply with them or I may defy you. And that's, what's going to happen. And if you give me a story, something to inspire me, then I can choose to be part of it. And, and I, that's really, I think what a good brand does is it just helps your employees and your customers understand what you're doing and why they want to be part of it.
1: so how does one develop that story? I, I mean, it's you know because that guy had the CPA firm for a long period of time. Uh, and I think about other cPA firms or 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 other businesses that they're going through some motion and, and they may have gotten a little bit detached from those stories that really define their brand? How does one define those stories?
0: Well, I think there's a couple things. I mean, the first, especially in professional services, and uh, I have a new training coming out in a few weeks that actually is focused really on helping professional service firms, realtors, financial advisors, accountants, even attorneys on occasion.
1: (laughs) On occasion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, Um, and I try to limit those occasions. No, I'm just kidding. And it's really tricky because if you think about a professional services firm, it's uh, it's really difficult to distinguish your stuff, quote unquote. So you have stuff and you have story. And like financial advisors are in, are in the worst situation. I mean, they, they only have one stock market. They all have the same stock market. It's completely outside their control. There's only so many mutual funds. I mean, they literally are all selling the same stuff. So how do they tell a unique story? And there's a third component of every brand. And it's one we have found a lot of um companies easily overlook and especially I think for professional service firms this is one of the best ways to differentiate is to choose that audience because as you begin to attract an audience that audience begins to co-create your brand so imagine this podcast right now and everything you do to make it entertaining and fun and all the expertise you share and the guests you bring on and imagine executives and CEOs across America talking about your podcast and what you bring to the table and just just the fact they're talking about it, what that would do for your brand. Now, imagine the same you, the same entertainment, the same information, and people in trailer parks across America talking about you and your podcast. They are. It would change your brand, right? And, and that's fine. If you, if you Duck Dynasty makes a fantastic career targeting that market, you just have to know who your audience is.
1: No, so, but but I like how you said how you, how you start off. You choose your audience versus your audience choosing you. And that's, that's key.
0: I think if you choose the audience, the moment you choose to do business with me, I feel special. Right. And so I uh, did a project for a financial advising firm a couple years ago. And, and financial advisors, I mean, it's really tough. They're everywhere. And to be honest, some companies oh. turn out too many of them knowing that a lot won't make it, just to see who, who can make it. So there's more out there than we need. And they all have the same stuff. But I met this, worked with this small team, financial advising team, and helped them realize they really wanted to work with uh, women who'd been recently widowed or divorced. Now, they kind of came to us with this idea. They were excited about it. And I was like, that's kind of a really good idea, except it would make more sense if you were women. <laughs> but why? why would, like, I immediately he approached me with this idea and I was like, oh, I know who you need to talk to. I had referrals in my head, right? I've met hundreds of financial advisors and never once does it pop, oh, they need to talk to Jimmy, right? Or they need to talk to Gene. But I, as soon as I started talking to him, three people popped in my head that he needed to talk to and, and or someone from his team. And then my next thought was, Why is this team only want to work with women, especially women who've just been divorced or widowed? That's (laughs) so I said, you just sent my imagination a whole lot of places you do not want my imagination going. Right. (laughs) You need a story.
1: Yeah.
0: And and is the story should be true. It's better if it's a true story. And in my yeah. experience, everybody has a true story. We all wind up where we are because of decisions we make. And if we go back and analyze those decisions, that's how we find your core values. And so we could take clients through a process to go through these turning points in life and to assess why those decisions happened. And as we kept going back and back in his uh, career, he, had, he did have a ton of experience with this market and really had a passion for it, but it wasn't clear why. Until we got all the way back to when he was eight years old and his dad walked out and he, his mom and his little brother. Oh. And then he's like, oh yeah. And and this is just, I was like, do you tell people this story? He's like, I don't tell anybody. But what happened is his dad walked out. He, he, his mom had to get a second job. He got a paper route to help her pay the bills. He still remembers packing his brother's lunch every morning because his mom was already gone for the day. And he started studying finance when he was 12 years old because he was concerned about his own college and also concerned about his mom and i was like you got to share this story man this this is this is why you care and then suddenly i care because i understand your story and so now because it's the truth every time he shares that story he also shares you know and every time i help a client i still feel like i'm helping my mom and that's the honest truth and the assets he brought in under management 12 months after that increased 40% from what he had before it was a uh, wow yeah I mean, to increase sales forty percent, just like on a dime, like that.
1: And that goes back to the, to how you know you you have to go back into into your career, into your life, to find that. As one of my guests, Judy Carter, that aha moment, absolutely that, that have put you on on that path. And it took time uh, for the person to peel that onion back to get to that core. But once you find it,
0: yeah. And this is all the brand strategy before you get to your logo, website, photo shoot, you know, all that stuff's really important. That's like the, the icing on the cake. And that's what we see. Yeah, We all see the icing. That's what we get excited about. And it's true. A cake with no icing is not a very good cake. But just a bowl of icing with no cake inside, that's pretty lame too. <laughs> and so you really got to figure out what's on the inside first. And, and you're right. It's like peeling back that onion to see what's really in the center of this person and their business, and what's in the center of this business. And then we give customers something to care about.
1: Yeah, I, I love the fact of, of using the term co-creation, people allowing themselves to be vulnerable. mm mm-hmm. uh, and, and that quote that I read from that TED Talk that I watched today, the, the, what caught me on that TED Talk is it was about being vulnerable. Oh, yeah. And, and about... You know, uh um once, and, and you just demonstrated it. Well, and it's weird that I watched that today and we're having this conversation right now. Uh, I'm a little creeped out, but it's okay. <laughs> and it's, but, and, and and she ended up, is, the more vulnerable you are, the, the more that you show that side will take you further and, and you'll find, you know, uh, lack like of a better term, happiness. But, oh, yeah. You, you, you'll I- be.
0: I think it was Oscar Wilde who said the more personal you get, the more universal you become.
1: Bingo. Yeah, exactly. But a, a lot of people fear doing that because, and, and she made this point, they fear doing it because they fear shame. They fear other people's judgment. And you get to a point anymore, and I don't know if it comes with age or, or what. She's like, I, I don't care what that other person thinks, even though my mother still say, what will they say? I'm like, I don't know who the hell they are. <laughs> I don't even right. li- I don't like they, but you know I you don't care because you you're staying true to yourself.
0: Absolutely. I think it's powerful. I mean, if even every film we watch, the first 10 minutes of that film is all is the main character and all their weaknesses. And every film starts off that way. Uh if you think about imagine Star Wars, one of the most successful franchises, but if Luke Skywalker had had rich parents who sent him to the best academies, made sure he had the the top education, you know, and he had relentless training to be that to have hone his reflexes and be the best fighter pilot on that end of the galaxy. And then he's the one that the rebel Alliance, you know, recruited and put a team behind to keep him safe. He's, he's the one with the, with the magic hands and sent him in to destroy the death star. It would have just been kind of like, well, I'm glad that he destroyed the death star, but yeah. 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 But that's not the story George Lucas told. He started out, he's an orphan, a farmer on a desert planet. I mean, metaphorically, how worse does it get?
1: Exactly. Uh, But storytelling is an art.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's, there's two sides. There's the understanding the mechanics of it, but then also bringing the heart to it.
1: Right. You need the heart story there.
0: Absolutely. And that's... I think what you said earlier about being willing to get personal, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard, but it, it really takes your storytelling to a new level. And for me, um, I got into the entertainment business, you know, obviously right out of college and I, I never got famous at it, but I was able to make a living and I, and, and I loved it. And as a result of me getting, I a, my youngest sister was 11 years younger than me and when she, when it came time for her to go to college, she really just wanted to go to LA and become an actress. And so, as much as I value college, and it was one of the rare times where I, I thought it really was important to skip college, if she wanted to have a chance as an actress. Because she looked really young. She literally could play 12 or 13. She just had a really young look. Okay, And she was 18, and I said, you know, if she goes out now, she'd very likely get work, but you wait four years, there's just more competition, and she'll look older. And it's just that much harder. Uh, and she did. She got work in the first three years, started getting work, did all sorts of TV shows, Grey's Anatomy, Desperate Housewives, Glee. She did a McDonald's commercial, Good Luck Charlie. She's been all sorts of stuff. A couple of movies you've probably never seen. Cool. And so years later, it kind of came full circle because when I was an entertainer, I was always the funny guy. And I had tons of jokes and it was entertaining, and I had great songs. I thought they were great songs, and uh, luckily some of my fans did. Um, But I never really did drama. I never, like I might sing a song that would bring a tear to somebody's eye, and I could go into it in the song, but as a a storyteller, I always kind of steered clear of the drama. It just wasn't, I, I thought I'll just be funny all the time. And as I started doing keynoting and I watched the great keynoters, I noticed all of them have that moment in their keynote where you, you almost choke up, they bring a tear to your eye. Right. And I started watching the great keynoters and I saw them doing that. And I was like, for at first, my ego says, well, you can get by without it. Right. (laughs) But I just kept coming back to it. And I thought, you know, okay, I've learned that, that skill of making people laugh and how to design a joke. And I'd always like to get more of them, of course, increase my, increasing that laugh count is always good. Right. But to get that drama and it actually was my, my baby sister, I called her up several years later. And I was like, how do you do that? And because she'd taken tons of acting classes at that point. And there are some, as a performer, there are things that make sense to you when you spend a lot of time on the platform right? that don't, that's hard to understand otherwise. But she said, you know, when you're telling a joke, you learn the timing and you force it and you force the timing. and you control everything and you're in control you know exactly where the joke's going you wait for the audience to catch up with you and then you snap them into that you know and you're typically something's funny because you switch someone's paradigm on a dime we thought we were going one direction and whoa he's talking about something else and it's funny and she said drama is a completely different strategy you just can't force it all you can do is tell the story and let yourself go and it's that moment of letting go I had been on stage for thousands of hours at that point. That was the scariest thing I ever did.
1: So tell me this. What, what do you mean by letting go?
0: So when you start to tell the story, now it's a, you want to tell a story that isn't emotionally important to you. Right. And when you tell that story, you have to let yourself go into the emotion. Oh, okay. And if you try to control it too much, you'll ruin it. You can't push it. You have to let it pull you. Okay. Does that make sense? Um, that makes sense. And so she was explaining this to me, and she said, "This is how." And then she 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 had taken a master class with an, an acting coach that worked with Meryl Streep, and she said, uh, "What I learned was even Meryl Streep and the great actresses and actors that we all look up to, they every time they do it, it'll be different. A joke you might nail it exactly the same a hundred times in a row, right? But drama doesn't work that way. You just go with it." And some she said, "Sometimes." She, It'll just, everybody will cry and it'll be amazing. And other times you'll just kind of get it out and it'll be okay. And if it doesn't come, that's okay. You, Cause you can't force it. You just have to open up and let the emotion pull you along. And, uh, and I have to say it was one of the best pieces of advice I got.
1: I may have to second that because I've never thought about it obviously in that manner having done some stand-up having done the improv and, and stuff and i've got a few keynotes out there and and i've got a a really nice heart story, a couple of heart stories in there to, to go along with the humor but i, I never viewed it from that point uh, and i've taken a few acting classes nothing to the level of uh but um i think i'm gonna research that a lot more i i, I like that i i but that's that's part of the art of storytelling. It's a part of the art of what they're doing on these TED talks. It's it's drawing you in, and and, and having that reaction to it, just like a brand, just like the, the guy who the his aha moment was. Yeah, when my dad left. Yeah, yeah. It's huge, and that's really compelling, and and you know, so I'll just throw this out there I'll just say whether you're at a not-for-profit whether you're in an accounting firm whether you're in an organization you go out and do these um uh, these retreats, these strategic planning retreats I think that's the perfect place to one figure out what that story is oh yeah and and allow yourself to open up to this group of people and, and, and because if they do, in this case, you know as you said, the next year, their assets and profits went up by, by 40%.
0: Absolutely. But well, remember, I mean, you don't want to go out. You want to tell the story to inner circle first and work right. your way out. Right. So that you are ready. You want to be, you want to, it has to be a story you've dealt with emotionally. If it's, if your dog just died last week, you probably don't want to get on the platform and tell that story if you haven't dealt with it. Cause then it's just, you're just going to, you don't want to break down sobbing on stage. You have to be right. able to channel it. Yeah. At the same time, you want to be able to let that, that drama pull you along because you can't really pull it or push it. You got to let it pull you. Let it pull versus pushing it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, and I think when you share that, those personal stories, especially if you build your brand around it, it makes it so compelling because we can get our accounts done anywhere. We can get financial advice anywhere. But the place that chose to work, even, he, I'm not a single mom. But I'm like, wow, he's helping those people. I want to be part of that. And so it can even build your business. And this is sometimes as you narrow your audience, it helps us see what you stand for and what you care about. And you'll draw in people from outside that narrow focus because they care about what you care about. And you'll look completely different than all the other people. Actually, we have this uh, new training coming out. And we've identified there's – so if you think of the stuff side and the audience side, there's five factors that every customer looks for in your stuff before they make their choice. And these are really the factors that create that competitive edge. And the training we call checkmate your competitors because once you stand out as different, no one can compete with that once you claim your space. Like nobody else in town can be the firm that helps single moms because they've claimed it. And anybody else is just a copycat. And it's fine, but everybody wants to see the original, not the copycat. So, so
1: what are those five things?
0: Yeah. So if you think about stuff, so it can be a gas station, financial advice, mm-hmm. accountants, we have, uh, the easiest one is, is cost to go to, right? Let's be the low cost firm. We'll charge uh 20% less per hour, whatever it is. And, um, and that can be compelling. It's also hurts your margins, it makes it hard to grow. Um it's not a great place to be long term unless you have there's a few situations like if you're Walmart, if you're Amazon, you can maintain that low cost and become a multi-billion dollar company. But you have to have a sustainable way to build it. And actually doing branding in Indianapolis, me and the and the other firms in the area, we actually do get to maintain a low cost advantage because we know we can beat the guys in New York and San Francisco for decades. They our cost are just so much it's cheaper for us to fly from here to New York and work with a New York client than it is for the firm that's already there to stay in business. It's just the way it is. So we know it's sustainable, so we can keep it as part of our assets. Um, but for most businesses, it's not. If, if we're, if you're an accounting firm, you're competing with other firms in the region, it's very difficult to maintain a low-cost uh, 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 factor without losing your margins, which you, you want to keep those margins up. So typically, we want people to flee costs. And if you think about flea, it starts with F, features, which means your stuff can do something the competitors can't. In professional services, it's hard to build any features that your competitors can't do. I got the I just got the flea. Yeah, absolutely. So you got flea. So you got features. The second one, location. You're in a place your competitors can't be. So Peter, you and I, we start a hot dog factory. We start selling hot dogs. Now, the problem is hot dogs is a really competitive market and there's some big established players there. But if we put hot dog stands on the beaches up and down the Atlantic beach, uh, Atlantic coast. We just might be the only ones there. So if you can find a location or if we could broker a deal to be the only hot dogs in Walmart, that'd be an incredible location advantage. Yes, it would be. So, Fleet uh, features location experience. Now, if you can offer an experience your competitors can't offer, fantastic. I mean, this is what Disney does versus King's Island, Cedar Point. And Disney carries it all the way through their their films. The same Disney experience, the same experience you get at Disney World is the same experience you get at Disneyland, the same experience you get if you go see a Disney movie. And I can call you up and say, hey, Peter, I'm in town. You want to go see the new Disney movie? And beyond thinking I'm kind of (laughs) weird. You would know exactly, right. you would know right away if you want to go, right. if you're interested. Maybe you, you know. Maybe you have a niece in town, you're like, yeah, let's go. Um, but if I call you up and I say, hey, you want to go see the new Warner Brothers, Brothers movie? You would have no idea what I, Warner Brothers movie? What is it? Uh, yeah. it, it doesn't mean anything because the experience isn't consistent. Um, now, I will say in professional services, what typically happens is the experience is what everybody works so hard to create. We work so hard to create an experience of trust, integrity, uh, rapid, responsive phone calls, high service, lots of friendliness. Um, you know, having a great environment for people to walk into. So when they come in, they they feel safe. They feel like their your advice is trusted. And we work really hard to build all these fantastic experiences. And the only problem is, all our best competitors are doing that too. Right. And so you, it's really hard in professional services. We're really proud of the experience that we work so hard to build, but it really is just par for the course. It's not typically a great way to distinguish yourself. The last one, and this is the one people often overlook, is esteem, is when your product can build the esteem of your customers, their self-esteem. And uh, this is what BMW sells. They don't sell cars, they sell esteem. Knowing your audience, this is why knowing your audience is so key. Prius sells the same thing to a completely different audience. And they sell that esteem where people get to feel good about themselves when they drive a Prius, people get to feel good about themselves when they drive a, a, a BMW. So we're oftentimes looking for opportunities. Once we assess where are your greatest strengths, how can we take those strengths, those factors that you already have that are really strong, and how can we move those into the esteem column? Like this financial advisor, it improves my esteem to work with him because I know he has this cause he's supporting. And I feel good about myself when I support his business. And that's that's huge.
1: That is I, I know a lot of those who are a lot younger than I am in the business world, they will gravitate to products and service that meet their social responsibility versus going someplace else just because it might be of, of lower cost. Uh that that experience, you're talking about accountants, professional service firms. I I think where that experience is in the interactions they have with the partners, the managers, and staff. And I'll take it to a point is, do they, can they can they have a conversation? Yep. Can can they explain very complex information and put it in a manner that I can understand? Absolutely. Because when you say depreciation to a non-accountant, they go, that's the value I lose in my car when I drive it off the new car lot, and the accountant's go, no, 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 it's a systematic allocation of an asset over time. <laughs>
0: Well, you just lost me. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm with you.
1: Yeah, so I, I think personal uh, these professional service firms, the ability to provide skills necessary to all staff in order to have these compelling conversations with their clients. That's the experience, and, and I know a lot. Uh, and there's a lot. There's some research out there to say that's one of the reasons why clients leave firms is because it's lacking that experience that, and to some degree that, that empathy that's out there.
0: And I think creating that consistent experience, which I've heard you talk about many times where it's not just the CPA or it's not just the leadership, right? And it's not just the marketing where it's consistent, where from the moment I walk in the door, everybody, even if I've run into somebody who's cleaning up the bathroom in your office, that that same experience is consistent. And I don't expect everybody to understand depreciation, but to have the same friendliness, the same sort of knowledge, knowing where I need to go, making sure I'm taken care of, and if that experience is consistent, I feel really good about coming back. Yeah, there, there, I
1: don't know if you've read this book called The Experience Economy. Mm. Oh, I
0: you, like the sound you, of it.
1: You, you got to pick it up. One of the authors is James Gilmore, uh, Pine and Gilmore, Joe Pine, and, and this book book was first published in 1999. They they've done a, a, a an upgrade on it. You would just go nuts over this book because it he breaks this book up into two pieces. He talks about experience. And you know when you mentioned Disney, you know uh, they he takes like birthday parties. you when your mom years ago they would she would bake a cake from scratch. Sure, and then it kind of moved up to the next where oh I can go get Duncan Hines, and then it went up to the next like I can go to Baskin Robbins or Kroger's or whoever and pick up a cake, and then it went to the final experience I'm going to go to Chuck E. Cheese and listen to these rats playing and have that experience. So he talks a lot about how to build that experience, and he also talks about in the second half of the book the business world all it is is a stage, and we are act and we are actors on this stage.
0: I like
1: that uh, I think you would really enjoy that book uh, i've I've gone through it twice and actually a friend of mine Bob Dean, who I've interviewed earlier on, on the podcast on one of my podcasts, he was certified by this group in the experience economy
0: oh that's cool
1: yeah it is really it is really cool it's a really cool book it's a great read uh, and, and being a consumer of information uh, you might have it done uh, before the morning
0: right yeah, <laughs> I like the sound of it I'm going to check it out uh, I think having that experience is key. And then if find opportunities to build, to move your assets into that esteem column. Cause that's what we see over and over again. That's when companies are able to charge more than anybody else and still re, not only retain the loyalty, but grow.
1: Exactly.
0: I think I have, I have habit, um, some great examples in my own past, uh, in my own business, having in the entertainment business, you deal with copyright and trademarks all the time. Right. And there was a firm in Houston that was using, it was a, tra- they had trademarked something that I had used before them. And they sent me a cease and desist that I could no longer do one of my programs. And, and I checked all the dates and did the records. And according to everything I could find publicly available, I had used it first. So I knew I should be able to use it. So I call my, the first attorney up and I explained the situation and they just basically tell me, well, I don't really want to do the case, you know. It's it doesn't sound like a a good case. I was like, I was a little ticked off, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I called. uh, I met this guy at a conference, and he was um, an East Coast attorney. And I I knew it'd be more expensive, but I went ahead and called him. I he I got referred to their trademark specialist, and so I'm explaining to her how we're going to sue this company and. And she's telling me the process and what's going to happen, what it's going to take. And I'm all in, like, because I'm emotional, you know, I'm ticked off about this. And then she goes, well, wait a minute. Brian wants to talk to you. And he hops on the phone. He goes, wait a minute, Thaddeus. Me, what are you trying to do here? And I explained the situation to him. And he goes. OK, OK, wait a minute now. I just, I just overheard what was going on. I hopped online. I looked real quick. It looks like they're making a lot of money with this mark. You know, um, they have, they have several people out doing these programs. Now here's the deal is it's going to cost you, um, $30,000 just to file. Cause we have to go to federal court for trademark. And then, um, once we do that. And at the time, this other company had more money than I did. And they said, they're going to be able to guess that most likely. And once they check, once they recognize that they can easily run the cost up to 80, hundred thousand dollars before you get an answer from a judge. If you do get that answer from a judge, if you have $80,000 to spend on this judges hate to put businesses out of work. And because they're out using this mark a lot, and it's supporting several employees, the judge will probably give you uh, we don't really know what a judge will do. It's a random thing. you know. It's it's kind of like playing Russian roulette. But the odds, my guess is, he'll give you co-usage to the right. So you'll get to use it and they'll get to use it. And now you're going to have to go out and compete with somebody. You're $80,000 in the hole competing against someone who has a lot more money than you and they're really ticked off. <laughs> so I just want to let you know that I'm telling you this, telling, suggesting maybe you don't write me this $30,000 check. What do you think? Now that experience, I can't tell you how many times I've called that guy back up cuz that was helpful. He didn't tell me just what the law told me was possible, but he told me what was best for my business.
1: That's that's a great story. Cuz as you were as you were uh, now when you told that story all the money going into your account stopped dinging. I just want you to if you know if you if you notice that. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> that's that's a great story. And, and but he took the time and, and he had empathy for you and and, and and now it's turned into a great referral base.
0: Absolutely, I mean, I think it was that that ability to look past his expertise into my situation. Yeah, and that was so much because that's what we want when we come to a professional services firm is we want you to help our situation and understand our problems. And yes, I mean, I, I obviously I want the if it's a lawyer, I want them to know the law. If it's an accounting firm, I want to make sure they know how to do the books. But if you can help me with my situation and help understand where I am, uh, that's so much more valuable than, than just give me the expertise and trying to give me the knowledge. Tell me, don't just tell me what depreciation is, but tell me how it can help me or how it can hurt me or what I should look out for. That's, that's awesome.
1: The ability to put themselves in your shoes. and, And that goes back to my world of, of improv and yes. And I'm allowing myself to yes, agree and listen, but I'm putting myself in your shoes. And I guess if it was my business, would I want to do it? And, and so you were up to eighty, ninety thousand dollars, and it's like, no, just you know, you, there, there's no overall win-win for you in this situation. <laughs> Keep your money and, and use it for something better, right? That 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 that's a great, that's an outstanding story.
0: It was I, I was blown away and appreciative.
1: <laughs> yeah, very much so. Uh, and, and this, this, you, you talk about the course that's coming out. Can you give us a little bit more information about that?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, Checkmate your competitors. And it's about using these five factors. So obviously we have to decide, we have to understand which of these five factors, features, location, experience, esteem, or low cost, which of them is your sweet spot. And you'll notice really successful businesses will nail four out of the five typically, usually except for low cost, they'll get the other four. Um, We don't need all four, but we need at least one if we're going to have customers. And if you do have customers, you're getting one, one of these is there already. And so it's great interviewing customers, interviewing employees, understanding what it is that really stands out. What is your competitive edge? And then how can we position that? If we can shift that, say you have features that no one else does, or you offer a deeper, better experience than other firms, then you can shift that into the esteem column. And once you do that, then I want to work with you. I want to work with your firm when you help me feel good about myself.
1: That's I I I could take up another half hour of your time, and what I'm thinking about doing is getting you back on soon uh, to continue the conversation. uh, Because I I, I, there's a couple of scenarios that run through my head that I, I just like to spitball with you. That how do you you know, and it goes back to the experience economy. How do you how do you move from a commodity? to that experience or you've got a product or service that's moved its way back down into being a commodity because cost and price, how do you get past that and, and and go back and turn it back into an experience? And and I know that'd be a a, a longer conversation. Well, I
0: think um, you're exactly right. Creating that consistent experience is critical because if you give me a great, for instance, the attorney, if, if he'd give me this great advice, but next time I called his firm gave me terrible advice or, or if, they, if they then totally misunderstood my situation and just left me, one of the things he did was help me help me get through my own emotions on this situation that was hard for me. And he empathized and shifted me rapidly. And, but if I call back and he failed to do that the next couple of times, then it destroys it. So you have to build consistency in that experience. And then one of the things we advocate for is if you have a cause, some sort of core values, like the firm that said we want to really help women who've been recently widowed or divorced, and there was a reason for it, or a firm that says, "Look, uh, IT consulting firm we re- we worked with recently that decided you know they moved the founders moved here moved to Indianapolis from Chicago, which 20 years ago was not that was unusual. The migration went the other way, and the question was why, and it all it became because they really wanted to they really loved Hoosier values, and so. Instead of going out and saying, well, our IT consultants are down to earth and they're, they're you know, easy to get along with, Midwestern guys, and you can trust us, which all just sounds like that's about us. Instead, the whole campaign is, look, this is why we chose Indianapolis. This is why we chose Hoosiers. Or wherever you are. If, you have, uh, if there's some sort of cause that you believe in, and Tom's Shoes, of course, is the cliche example we use in the business world all the time. But when people buy a pair of Tom's Shoes, they know what it stands for. And they know what they're supporting, and this law firm, even them, he his focus was helping performing artists, international. Um, he does a lot of visa work. He does a lot of, uh, and his whole team is focused on helping stage shows, artists, mm-hmm. performers, musicians, and actors. And that's something I want to support. So when I call up his business, hey, I know what I'm supporting. I know who I'm helping. Um, I have another law firm that I've worked with many times who works almost exclusively with musicians and they could make a lot more money working in another market. And I use them. I'm, I don't do a lot of music business deals anymore, but I still use them Mm -hmm. and their expertise because I know what they support and I care about that. And so I get to feel good about myself when I work with them. And I think there's something really powerful in that it takes that exploration. What is it you stand for? What do you care about most? And if your firm could change something in the world, if your firm had unlimited resources, what would you do?
1: It, it goes to Simon Sinek's, it starts with why. Yeah. Because what are you passionate about? I tell what and how to do it, but if you can't tell somebody why you do something, and that that's where the great companies and the great leaders come from. Um, and whole, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Uh, you're right. And, and you know, the, the, cra- the crazy thing is it's so easy, but it's so hard to implement consistently.
0: It's consistency and we get myopic cause it's so easy to get concerned about. We have expenses, we have healthcare is going up, you know, all these different things. And how do we, how do we maintain that culture? And how do we continue to prioritize what's really important to us? And if we do, the customers notice. And, and trust me, we're shy. customers are shopping all the time. Even the most loyal customers are always looking for something else. And when you differentiate on cost, they can always find someone who's lower cost. You differentiate on features, they can always find someone who has different expertise or can do something different or knows the new training. But when you differentiate on esteem, and you have a cause that you believe in, and you your customers know it. That's really hard for someone to copy.
1: Yeah, because it's personal.
0: It's personal, exactly. And I am personally invested in you. And I love working with vendors. When I get personally invested with my vendors, it's, it makes it more fun to do business with them.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's as one of uh, it's, it's that networking, but it's becoming make create that friendship. And when you create that friendship, trust and respect. Yeah, you know, Are you going to do business with somebody you don't trust, somebody you don't respect? No. But through that process, you are developing that relationship.
0: Oh, yeah. I think that's what it's all about is how do you become more compelling? Right. You, as an accounting firm, as you have salespeople out there who are networking, trying to bring more business in. And what are you giving them so they can go out and be compelling? A story. There you go. A story. Bingo.
1: Hey, uh, tell everybody how they can find you on the on the interwebs. <laughs> sure.
0: Uh, well, we're we love Facebook. Facebook slash science of charisma, and we're also at ThaddeusRex dot com. As a matter of fact, I think we have an alias up. So if you go to the dot com, it'll bring you right to our site.
1: Okay. Cool. Uh, Thaddeus. I can't thank you enough. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And like I said, we could probably have gone on for another hour. So we will next time. I
0: look forward to it.
1: We'll, we'll, we'll pick it up. And um, thank, you very, thank you very much. And I look forward to our next conversation.
0: Me too. Thank you all.
1: I would like to thank Thaddeus again for taking time out of his schedule to give us his thoughts on branding your business in the science of charisma and by taking a few moments out and serenading us with his guitar solo on branding. In episode 50, I interview Reverend Susanna Goulder who helps people remove obstacles to step into the life they're meant to live. As a life purpose coach, Susanna specializes in helping entrepreneurs and professionals quiet their minds to align with their innate strengths and purpose. And by the way, if you're a fan of Sex and the City, you'll want to listen to this episode. Thank you again for listening. And remember to use the principles of improvisation to help your business define its five factors of competitive edge and build a compelling brand.